The following is a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by Kingsters for Kingsters, Poly, Queer, Trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Featuring personalities as their authentic selves, this is What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. It's an intimate conversation with people inside the kink and fetish worlds, as well as educators, sex-positive personalities, and other amazing people sharing their stories of what makes them who they are. And now, here is our own wonderful human with the questions, John or as he is known around the kink and fetish community. Hi there, Catsuit. Hello there, Nookie, and to our listeners, welcome, as we have an opportunity to meet with a documentary producer who is trying to demystify this world of kink that we love and, and is taken to the screens of festivals across the world to try to have us all touch kink. Max, the producer of Touch Kink, is a multi-award winning producer and director and a generally curious soul. Always loving capturing the beauty of the moment, he started his first gig as a photojournalist for a newspaper and now has made his way into film and is doing some amazing work in trying to help our community. 25 years, 137 countries and many images and video captures later, he's back in Canada with a producer's mindset, learning a lot about what it takes to shoot in just about any environment. And now with his latest project called Touch Kink, he's trying to help demystify the world that we love so much. Max, the producer of Touch Kink, on what women and other wonderful humans want. They are the questions that establish the story. Five questions about firsts, bringing back the genesis of the character behind the human. It's the first five and it starts now. First time you ever picked up a camera and what you did with it. Mm, 11 years old, got a camera from my grandmother and just ran outside and took pictures of trees and rabbits and squirrels and things like that. What was it that drew you to that? Um, my uncle was very much into photography and gave me the opportunity to learn about photography and create images and, uh, it just seemed something that I really enjoyed right from the beginning. And then it quickly became sort of my passport for being in the room, for lack of a better example. I, I 
like many kids, I suppose, I was very awkward. And sometimes I had to feel like I had to have an excuse to be in that, that new situation. And it felt that the camera was my, my passport. I'm here because I'm here to take pictures. So it just sort of, you know, there, there, you know, the die was cast for life, uh, you know, using the camera as my passport. When was the first time it turned to film with the moving image? First time it turned to film? Um, probably, I'm just trying to think. It's funny because I started off doing a lot of these AV shows where I was using photos and trying to create motion by using slides dissolving from one to another and effects and stuff. And then I thought, why am I not just doing film or video at the time? And that was probably 17 or so trying to create shows for the local uh, local high school. First time your camera was around naked people. Ah, that, that now we're getting to the fun stuff. <laughs> um, hmm. Probably 1995. I had this crazy idea about, oh no, that's not true. I sort of had a, I was doing more corporate type things before and being young and curious, you know, uh, and surprised that you could sort of, people would do whatever. I ended up doing some fashion work and we ended up having one of these ideas or somebody came up with this idea that they were going to have the model wearing whatever clothes in front of a bunch of naked people. And I remember thinking, this is a crazy idea, but this is going to be fun. So I was probably 22 or 23. And all of a sudden there was all these people that we'd hired to be naked in the background. And I was just so surprised how casual it all was. First time you knew you made it in the television video or content business? Um, probably back, let's see, what year would that be? Way, way back when my friends and I had decided rather innocently to set up a post-production company, not really realizing that we should really have a business plan to do such things. And we had put this together in, uh, in Vancouver and you know built this elaborate facility you know uh, basically with uh, duct tape and bailing wire and put all our everyone together we did the drywalling we built furniture together because we couldn't even afford furniture and suddenly we just got lucky we were right in the time where the film industry in vancouver was taking off and uh one day what um johnny depp walks through the door and i for a second thought I, or then I realized that we had actually were doing some work for the, the, the show that he was on called 21 Jump Street. And I was like, oh, we're legit now. <laughs> First time that kink touched you. The funny thing about kink, and that's my perspective on this question has changed a lot because I didn't, I mean, it, I didn't call it kink. I didn't call it BDSM. I was just a weird person that liked to do whatever he wanted. I liked to sort of push the envelope with consent. I always knew that uh, it was important to sort of talk to people about stuff. And I found out that um, some people liked it a little bit rough. Some people liked a little bit more of this. And all you had to do was have those conversations. And, uh, you know, I I have a Dutch cinematographer that doesn't call it kink at all. He just says, this is this is just hard. You like art. 
so I was hard, I guess, or into hard. And then probably eight years later, somebody gave me a copy of uh, Jay Wiseman's SM 101. And I'm like, oh, 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 oh. And then I also, that explained a lot too, because up at that point in my life, I was always surprised that most people were happy following other people, doing what other people wanted them to do. And I never was. I could, I got fired from every job I ever had or, or always told my boss I could do better. And I, when I wanted time off, I went. I've always been a very dominant personality who's just kind of done exactly what he wanted to do and figured it out. And I didn't realize that was unusual. And then I started realizing, you know, kink was a good roadmap for explaining uh, different personality types and different thing, different natures people have. So the short answer, I guess, is uh, I knew I was into hard from the time I was probably 17. I wouldn't have called it anything other than that until 10 years later when I got a copy of Wiseman's SM 101. And now I would actually call it something completely different again uh, from what I've discovered and learned uh, through making this film. And we will talk about the genesis and the making of the film Touch Kink when we return with Max on what women and other wonderful humans want. And as always, we're presented by Dating Kinky. We do this show without paid advertisers and provide it to you as a labor of love. If you want to help the show, as well as contribute to Catsuit's conference fund to get live interviews and teach some amazing classes, you can give at bit.ly slash thanks, Catsuit. Now let's hear from some of Catsuit's friends with some messages for you. Welcome to the Yoniverse. I'm Scarlett. And I'm Anya. The Flaming Yoni podcast is a celebration of the beautiful and unique expressions of female sexuality. From asexual to megasexual, from lifelong monogamy to relationship anarchy, from deep spiritual bonds of sacred union to spur the moment flames. It is all infused with Yoni energy. Search for the Flaming Yoni on your favorite podcast platform. You will not leave the same as when you came. Are you curious about kink but don't know where to begin? <laughs> or maybe you have a friend who, while they appreciate your interest in BDSM, they don't really understand what it's all about. You should check out Kink for the Curious. It's a fun little activity book with color pages and word finds, lots of silly puns, <laughs> uh, but lots of solid, BDSM and kink information written by somebody who's been in the business for almost 30 years. Kink for the Curious, a BDSM activity book for beginners, written by Princess Natasha Strange, that's me, <laughs> is available on Amazon. Go get it now. We invite you to connect with us on social media so you can follow all the great news about the show. You can find us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1, on Instagram at WhatWomenWantPodcast, and on FetLife at www.podcast. And if you want to follow the host, that's easy as on Twitter, 
Instagram, and FetLife, he is Hi There Catsuit. And now back to what women and other wonderful humans want, presented by Dating Kinky. Thank you, Nookie, and welcome back to the program, joined by Max, who has put together this amazing documentary called Touch Kink. And of course, every good story has its beginning. When did the story of this documentary begin? My goodness, um, that's back in seven, eight years ago now. Um, I had a, a fan mail from a rather attractive woman, and one as a as a man often uh, replies to those messages a little faster. And she turned out to be a dominatrix. And I mean, of course, I knew what that was, but I, considering myself dominant, I never really had much opportunity to interact with that person. But we ended up having a few drinks and talking all night, and we found out how much we had in common. And she was very, very interested in doing a documentary about kink, but she had faced a fair amount of problems around it, and uh, it helped her in some ways and hurt her in other ways. And she wanted to demystify kink and i thought that was a fantastic idea for a film and that was how it sort of got started so you have this idea and what planning goes into it to say okay idea that's set in stone let's see what we can do with it well more honestly um it's been my experience at least as a filmmaker i'm not sure this is how everybody works people are probably more uh but um, I usually have two or three or four different ideas that I'd like to do at any given time. And then you seek funding, you seek, seek strategic partners, you wait for the stars to align. And, uh, you know, the one where things congeal around tends to be the one that gets put into action. And she, she had offered to actually finance it. But I, I also learned that she was, uh, and it's open about this, was bipolar and I didn't want to take advantage of her largesse but uh, a few months later as fate would have it another kinky dating app that doesn't exist anymore so it's no competition for your uh, your sponsors <laughs> um, was looking for someone to sort of be a brand ambassador to help them roll it out help them get it to the kink community and I'm trying to think of a nice way of saying it the, I, I, uh, the app I don't think was particularly well set up but I said, look, if I can just be honest with people and say, look, you guys are sponsoring my documentary, you know, please, you know, check out their app here uh, and I'll, you know, be honest with people about it. I, I'll, I'd be happy to go down to the different events and communities and offer sponsorship at different events or participate in different events and have them try and get their, their logo out there. And it was supposed to be a three month contract, but it lasted for two years and I ended up getting them like 1.6 million people to download the rap, uh, which they were very, very pleased with. But um, the gentle way of saying it is the app didn't manage to keep those users mm -hmm. uh, and eventually, you know, went defunct. So, I mean, for, it was really just the fact that they were got started because they were willing to finance the travel and finance the production and it worked hand in hand with commerce and art. They gave me the opportunity to get everywhere I needed to go and meet everyone I needed to meet and uh, film everything I needed to film. How did you start figuring out who you wanted to feature in this film? 
Um, well, January was obvious because she was very involved in it, but it seemed to just kind of spider out. She introduced me to a bunch of people that introduced me to a bunch more people. Uh, and I think I started or sort of pre-interviewed or did interviews something upwards of 150 people. Um, luckily, uh, I had the time and was traveling enough that, you know, I could revisit these people in a few months. And uh, frankly, most in most people's situations, not much happens. There wasn't really any kind of arc. But there were four people where, you know, their stories were interesting. Things were happening. Um, so I was able to catch that sort of moment in their life. And then again, followed up again, another three to three or six months left. So it started off with a whole bunch of people and then just sort of narrowed down. Honestly, when you start a documentary, unless you're making something, a story about something that's already happened, which is, believe me, a safer, easier thing to do, um, you have to wait for the story to reveal itself. The initial story itself was simply, you know, what do people get wrong about kink? What did Fifty Shades of Grey get wrong about kink? Um, that was great maybe for 15 minutes or a, or a brief little, even a first act, but it's not going to take you all the way through a feature. You need a little bit more meat. So, uh, yeah, I just kept filming and uh, it was honestly just a bit of a shotgun approach. Um, if I were to do it again, I don't think I would have followed exactly the same model. But again, I, it was my, literally my job to meet people. So it wasn't so hard to meet so many people to create this. So, you know, again, you use whatever situation you're in, the situation reveals itself. I, I read about a barber, maybe it's part of a movie where he just took a picture of what's happening outside of his barbershop for his entire life and made a beautiful film out of that, you know. <laughs> when did you know that the story was gelling, that it was starting to come together. Honestly, I don't think I ever knew that. Hmm. I, I don't think I, I still know that because it's um, how it came together is more of a, of a metaphor of what everyone's going through, seen through the eyes of roughly four people. And it it just it's it's just different angles of the same thing, it, it uh, or not the same thing, different different angles of addressing the issues people have being kinky, and I guess it just feels complete, if that makes any sense. When I hope you, people are going to find it complete. <laughs> <laughs> when you find this world originally to put the movie together it was a few years ago to where kink wasn't in the mainstream as though it's starting to get there now i always make the soccer analogy everyone knew that soccer was eventually going to become big when would it happen how would it happen and kink is a lot like that you had this core group that knew it was amazing and knew what can happen but didn't quite get everybody to buy into it and gradually you start having more and more people who understand things to the point where netflix has a kink decorating show who knew yeah um 
as much as everybody hates Fifty Shades of Grey, that was often the calling card. I wouldn't, rather than to say BDSM kink, I'd say, you know, like Fifty Shades of Grey stuff, but they got it wrong. That was uh, sort of the cultural reference point. I think a lot of people who weren't kinky uh, could under get some understanding of what you were talking about. Um, I think the issue with with kink is, of course, it 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 it's not one thing. It's a lot mm -hmm. of different things, and that was actually one of the you asked about when I felt the film was done. Is that when I felt the film was actually done when I figure out I finally have a metaphor and understanding to explain every kink to everyone all the time, um, <laughs> which you know I'll test it with you later if you want. Most people would think would be an impossible task. Uh, because it is so different. You go to a community of Spankos and, you know, they figure that they know what it is and everyone else is weird. Uh, you go to a community of rope people and they're like, or Shibari people, and they're like, no, this is it. You are all weird. And the, and the, the old leather guard is like, you guys are both fucking nuts. Uh, and then you've got, you know, the latex crowd, which some people don't even think belong. Uh, you know, it's like, it's so different depending upon who you talk to. So it's not like this unified thing anybody can kind of get around. It's massive. Arguably, I've seen studies that as many as a third of the world, you know, considers themselves kinky in one way, but that doesn't mean they all identify with each other. You are in Canada now, but you've Correct. been around the world mm -hmm. many times. Mm -hmm. Is there a part of the world that this is kind of just normal? And uh, you, we had talked in the in the pre-show about one person who had a very different term for what kink was, and I'll let you share it. Uh, I've forgotten what the the, <laughs> the the Dutch person, oh, the cinematographer, yes, my cinematographer. That's right. That would probably be the best analogy, actually. Now that I think about it. Um, he he's Dutch, grew up Dutch. Dutch have amazing sex ed. He had amazing sex ed, and the Dutch don't call it kink. They just say, "Oh, you mean you like hard?" They just call it harder, harder and softer. That's it. You know, it's sex. It's all sex. It's all interactions. All whatever. You just we just that's a little hard. That's all. That's it. That's all they call it. Uh, so I think yeah, the Dutch probably don't really distinguish it as like there's this other thing called kink, or there's this other thing. There's just a spectrum of you know, how far you go with anything, you know, and uh, if you go to the extreme with it, you're being a bit hard, you know. Um, countries that, that, that's probably the most open-minded of cultures. The interesting thing I've noticed in my travels, and it's probably more to do with the cultural background of each nation, but there's certain aspects of kink that are more common than others. Like the East Coast of the United States has a very big old style uh, BDSM scene, but it's a little more underground. And it's very still kind of leather based and pretty hard and very, very secretive. You really have to know people. People think, oh, there's nothing going on on the East Coast. The East Coast is the best place to play, but you have to have friends. And most of the best dungeons are you're not going to get invited until you've been like vetted and vetted and vetted. Where California is like, everybody does it. Everybody's into it. There's five or six clubs that are open and uh, everybody talks about it. And it's it's more open now. One is a little more new age kink, for lack of a better, which is great. I mean, you invent whatever you want, but it has a certain California style to it. But I would say the community in terms of numbers is probably the same on both sides of the country. It's just in terms of their approach, which is a better scene. I guess it depends on what you like, you know. 
you talked about the fact that there's leather and shibari and mm -hmm. latex. Which did you find the most surprisingly fascinating? Surprisingly fascinating. Um, surprisingly fascinating kinks. I don't think there was anything that I found surprisingly fascinating. I mean, I love the look of the whole uh, violet wand. I thought that was interesting. The the, the look of it was interesting. Um, Shibari is very, very beautiful. I've seen, you know, some amazing wax play and fire play. And uh, there's, a, from an aesthetic point of view, those come to mind. Um, one of the experiences that shouldn't have surprised me, but did surprise me, um, and unfortunately it's not in the film, I wish I did, is somebody suggested I go to a gay leather event. And uh, I think we went to Mr. Washington leather title holder or whatever. And uh, I'd never been to anything like that before and walk in and, you know, I, it was, you know, YMCA kind of looking guys. It looked a bit like that. And I was in my mind, I think I was a little bit snickering and, uh, and then the national anthem comes on and these guys are all there putting their hands over their heart and then talking. And I don't know why the, the energy changed a little bit better. And, something struck me is like i keep forgetting and i should know these people have other lives uh this is something they do for fun like we all do for fun i mean i didn't think anything of people dressing in latex why should i think of anything of anyone dressing in in leather so i i started talking to a lot of these guys and i would say 95 percent of these guys served in the military and mm. they literally and figuratively shed blood for freedom and i don't know why it was a surprise it shouldn't be and i'm upset with myself that it was but these guys earned their right to be, you know, and they're serious, hardworking, incredibly uh, strong guys. And I don't know why that was a surprise to me, but it was, I guess, just because I had never been in something like that. And I'd always been caught in maybe the same caricature. So when people see us in rubber or us in leather or us, they just going to think one thing and they're not going to realize behind the rubber, behind the leather, behind the whatever. No, there's a human being with another life. It's not just that person. This is something they do for fun, sure. But they probably don't go to work this way, you know? The evolution of gender identification from the time you started this film until now has become exponentially more important. Was it interesting to watch that grow as you did this project? Or did you have an inkling it was going to be something important early? I, I had an inkling it was something important earlier because the Holy Grail for me, and I hope I did it metaphorically, at least in my movie, if not obviously, is that um, gender is actually less relevant in its biological terms than anyone would have ever imagined. Uh, I tend to think of kink and tend to think of human dynamics um, from a point of view that I, I, a little metaphor I use in the film and a metaphor that I personally believe in is, is mixing of colors. And uh, if you're into digital, you know, the primary colors are red, green, blue. So uh, I like to think about understanding an individual's kink from the point of view of mixing those three colors. And for me, red represents what you're attracted to. Now that can be a, a rubber, it could be leather, it could be a feminine form 
a masculine form, a hairy form, a skinny form, a this form. Um, and if you're really honest with yourself and you let you go a lot of your heart programming, you realize that it doesn't really matter if someone's biologically this or that. You may be attracted to a certain shape more than another. Sure, it could be a classically feminine shape, but was that person biologically this or that? It doesn't really matter. I think that's where some people get all messed up and confused. Is like, but but I shouldn't like him because it's. But you're if you like a feminine form, you like a feminine form. I, I think even putting people in the thing of gay, straight, or whatever is is probably totally get me into trouble. But and I get you fight. They fought tooth and nail, the same as the kink community is fighting tooth and nail to get some recognition. But it's like they've jumped from two boxes to four boxes when really there is no boxes. It's all spectrums. You know, you like a masculine person or you like a feminine person you you know most people are on those spectrums so it's the focus they're interested in they like a feminine form they like a masculine form they like the leather they like uh lace they like rubber they like whatever they that's the focus feet whatever that's the focus that they they have the red and then there's our nature which is like how are we are we dominant are we submissive are we switchy are we this or that do we just want to play this today or that so that's the green, the nature of how you feel or what you feel. And that can shift. That doesn't have to stay the same. For some people, that may never change. For some people, that could change every five minutes. But today, I'm the dom, or I'm the this switch, or I'm the this, or I'm the that. Okay, so we've determined I like a feminine form, and I'm the dom, I'm the switch, I'm the whatever. And the last thing is blue. It's simply just, what do you want to feel? You want to be happy? You want to feel humiliated? Do you want to feel aroused? Do you want to feel safe? you want to feel, there's an infinite number of things we can feel. And that's it. You figure out those three things. Oh, I like a feminine form. I want to be a dom and I want to feel I'm in control. Okay, so I'm going to tie you up and I'm going to make you into my wearer. And that fulfills those colors. Now, that same person, the other person at the other end of that, they may like uh, me because they like beards. So they're focusing on a beard. They, they like me because the, the beards just turn them on. That That's the right way they're there. Um, they don't really consider themselves top or bottom or, or they, they're just, they just, more of a fetishist they just like beards and why are they there for pleasure maybe they just want or they just want a certain spanking to give them a certain sensation so that's it that's all there is for everything uh once you just get past all of this stuff about worry too much about actual biology or actual reality where humans are creative creatures and we always have something that is got our attention we always have a certain way we look at ourselves at a given time and we can only really seek one sense or one feeling at a time and if you understand those things you understand everything all the time in your description of the different groups earlier i know that more times than i'd like to hear you hear about well there's one true way <laughs> yeah well and i think it leads to a lot of not only misunderstanding but it keeps the kink community from truly coming together sometimes absolutely and if i were to have a criticism of the kink community it's that so many people want to say that their way is the way and their group is the group and it it makes it so difficult when you're just trying to understand everything about what you're going through yeah yeah unfortunately that's 
the bad side of the democratic system or the bad side of politics. For me to get you to like me, I have to show you why he's doing it wrong. You know, I'm doing it right. Follow me. Don't follow them. People, unfortunately, are tribal. They tend to naturally be political, whether it's I'm not talking about like Democrat or Republican. I'm just saying uh, my idea versus your idea. And if I feel strongly that I'm doing it right, then, of course, you must be doing it wrong. And there it goes. You know, it's just unfortunately an unfortunate part of human dynamics that we are tribal and it's good that we're democratic and we try to work things out. But the downside of it is it starts this sort of automatic um, conflict. There has somebody has to be right for someone has to be wrong. Um, I'm a big believer in uh, unless you're actually hurting anybody uh, in a, in a non-consensual way that they really don't like in a permanent way, um, you're all good. You know, I may not may not be my thing. I may not want to watch the scene, but as long as everybody's cool with what's going on, I'm I'm going to let you have your fun. I would never say, don't do that. You know, uh, but yeah, it, it's it's a natural thing, and unfortunately, they're they're the only substitute is the only way to get people past that is um, time, experience, talking to more people. There's no you can't automatically get past this. I will confess, seven years ago, I was pretty convinced I had a one-two way as well. You know, I mean, I I wasn't loud about trying to tell everyone else they were crazy or anything, but I probably somewhat in my mind thought everyone else was doing it wrong and I was the only one doing it right. And I got this amazing opportunity to travel the world and talk to hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, and it took me that to sort of realize that we have infinitely more in common than we have that separates us. And I'm very fortunate to have that experience. I, I don't you just have to let people uh, have their expression and and listen with patience and an open heart and hope that you know they'll they'll get it slowly you know this particular program is very much dedicated to the feminine side of things even though it is hosted by someone who was born male it looks a lot at the femdom side of things I'm guessing in this particular film, you look at both sides, the male dom and the female dom. Are there similarities between the two of them or are there just massive differences in the way they approach things? Well, first of all, most of the people actually are female dom and that was intentional. Um, I knew it was going to be tough I, I, from the beginning to get this into the mainstream. And uh, so I decided it was certainly going to be a little easier to put the women in the driver's seat than it would be to sort of focus on a documentary about, you know, heteronormative day, uh, male doms. And would, even though that's in the lifestyle community, that's probably more common than not. There is some male doms as well, but for the most part, it is female doms. And, the only thing, only thing I saw different was again the the uh, what I would say the, the the fetish, the focus. It's like I I like looking at a guy, I like looking at a girl, I like looking at a, a female form. Um, you know uh, that in terms of the style, um, you know women, you know there's a there's a fourth dynamic or a fourth thing that always underpins everything, which is our cultural reference points. You know, I grew up looking at stealing my dad's Playboys and looking at Playboys and big surprise. I kind of like a little bit of a Playboy figure. It's just programmed in. If I'd probably 
I don't know, my dad was gay and I looked at gay stuff, I probably would have had more, been more bisexual. I mean, I honestly think there's a certain element of that. Um, so because of that, you know, we, we like beautiful women and we, and we, we see women, a certain style and we like the form of a woman and, I, and women have different ways than men to assert power. Often uh, some of the most powerful female doms I've seen will get quieter to assert power. You know, the best ones slow it down and get a little softer and you lean right in where guys typically are a little more old fashioned, you know, you will do this, you know, kind of thing. So that they're using classically feminine ways uh, to create that power. But in terms of, you know, who they are as people, I, again, I, I don't think, I think it's more just what you expect and what the form that you, the, the form that attracts you. I want to be, I really just want to be beat. I, I want to be beat by a woman that looks like that. And I feel like I'm a slave today or a submissive today. You know, that's it. We've you found, so. I was just going to say, if you found out later that that beautiful dominatrix didn't wasn't born a uh, female, you wouldn't give a darn. Most men don't. <laughs> I mean, if they're honest with themselves, they're not going to give a darn. I mean, who cares? I, she looks like that. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I won't get invited down there to be sure anyway. So <laughs> We've talked a lot about the dominant side. The submissive side is obviously half the equation. But the reasons and the feelings of submissive men and women of why they do it. Was it a totally diverse I... way of of looking at it or is that that they just wanted to feel a moment again uh it's you know that that's one analogy i always try and make in interviews and uh, to people that have have seen a little bit of kink they walk in i friends well I say, yeah so what a bunch of people getting spanked i see it okay great move on and i always try to say the thing you don't understand there's 12 couples say doing the same thing Every single one of those is feeling something different, both in sensation, in their nature, and what is actually turning them on. Now, it may look exactly the same, and you're going to assume they're all feeling what you think you would feel in that situation, but you would be wrong. So I can't speak for all of those people. I've seen some people that will describe submission as a vacation. It's like the most peaceful thing that they can let go and have no stress. I've heard some describe it as cathartic. It just helps them get through issues and to feel strong and powerful again, and then they use it to to rise up. And you know, and I've heard some just say, "Oh, it feels." I've heard some say, "It's it feels it's correct for my religion. It feels proper as I'm a you know this is the Christian way of doing things." Somehow, I mean, I, I've I've honestly heard that. Um, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's not I'm not to judge what their experience is, but all I can say is that every single one of those people is feeling every kind of emotion you could feel. They're playing, or they're feeling every kind of role that is possible. And they're focused or they're, they're attracted by every kind of thing that you could think is possible. And the only way to find out is to ask. And you did a lot of that. And, and I did a lot of that. <laughs> when we return on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky, we'll talk a little bit about how you will be able to see this wonderful film and how it was introduced to a very receptive group of people when we return. 
Hi, Don. Hi, Dan. Recently, we put together a brand new book called Hearts and Collars, reflecting 20 years in a power exchange relationship. It's 350 pages of what we've been living for the past 20 years. Indeed, and it's got chapters like communication, power exchange and spirituality, how to be a leader, high protocol, becoming a follower, rituals, the new porch time, victim, survivor, and thriver, power exchange and polyamory, submissive versus wife, the practical contract guide, relationship short shorthand, as well as other tools and experiences we've had over the years. Check it out at eroticawakening.com slash hearts and collars. Bye, Dan. Bye, Dawn. This is Alicia Zadig, author of the new book, Yes, Mistress. I'm also Mistress Alicia, a leading dominatrix and BDSM expert. My book, Yes, Mistress, takes you on a provocative, eye-opening journey into the erotic worlds of kink, fetish, and female domination. Join me for a fascinating conversation. Male submission is more common than you think, and more rewarding than you can ever imagine. Yes, Mistress, now available on Kindle, and you can order your copy at yesmistress.com. Hi, this is Venus, and I have a special message going out to all the single ladies listening right now. What if you could have a committed, loving relationship with a partner who is monogamous to you, but who would love to see you have sexual experiences with others? Sounds too good to be true, right? Well, it's not. You really can have your cake and eat it too. You can have it all. Learn more at venusconnections.com. That's venusconnections.com. Hi there, I'm Nookie. My pronouns are she, hers, and I'm the founder of Dating Kinky, a different kind of dating and educational site for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. Catch me in my own podcast, Dating Kinky. And now back to John and their guest on what women and other wonderful humans want. Thank you, Nookie. We're talking documentaries on the program today, in particular one called Touch Kink. Its producer, Max, is joining us. And you had told me before the taping of the show began that it started somewhat at DomCon, and DomCon is where it started again, so to speak. Tell me about the the specialness of DomCon when it comes to your particular documentary. It's funny. Uh, it was, I'm just thinking about this now. It was May 17th, starting this film eight years ago um, at DomCon that I, you know, went with January and other people and started filming. And it was, I, as a Dom myself, I hadn't really interacted with that many dominatrixes and, you know, you're asking why the community is so fractured. The truth is even people in the community have different, have the wrong ideas about other people. You know, I quickly realized how beautiful these people were. And it wasn't a question of like, you know, this idea that, um, in fact, there's nothing so undomly in my mind as to try and take control of anybody the moment they walk into the room, because that shows a certain insecurity. Usually they'll talk to you and get to know and then figure out how you, you know, the relationship. And from that point on, yeah, you may be on your knees in front of that person, or you may be having a conversation like I am, but it's not like one trick for everybody. So that was a nice and beautiful surprise. Uh, 
to see how layered and how how fascinating it it was. Um, so DomCom became the beginning of the stride. I've met so many amazing people and I've had so many amazing interviews and it just led me to more and more questions. And the original idea was just about misconceptions, but I realized there was a lot more going on. So I wanted to find out how kink had affected people's lives and what had happened to them. So I interviewed various people and, uh, and, uh, so DomCom became the beginning of the story. Then I wandered the world for a while, went to England and Costa Rica and New York and uh, lots of crazy, crazy things happened. And I bumped into a lot of the same people. So I was able to carry on their elements of the stories in various locations. And then a year later, uh, I found myself back at DomCon finishing the story. And uh, it just seemed like DomCon became the beginning of the story and the end of the end of the year at the end of the story. And uh not and sort of in a perfect twist, uh, it's going to first be shown at DomCon on May 17th. It's going to be exactly eight years to the date from the day it started to the day it was finished, which coincidentally, and I just found this out today, is the 10 year anniversary of when the American Psychiatric Association removed BS, BDSM and kink as a mental illness. It's like 10 <laughs> years to the day. It was on May 17th, 2013, that they said, you know what? Um, this is not by itself a mental illness. It was 1973. They did the same thing with homosexuality for your reference. We were 40 years after homosexuality got removed. We got removed too. And they use roughly the same language. Homosexuality on its own case is not a, a problem unless there's whatever. And, you know, kink is, has that same sort of classification now. It's ironic. So yeah, 10 year anniversary is the day. For, so there's a lot of, lot of, lot of symmetry there. And now we're coming up to your first showing at a festival, which I yeah. understand has been quite the journey in itself to get people to understand why people are trying to demystify kink. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I'm going to say this, of course, because I'm the filmmaker, but I'm not the only one. Most people who've seen it say it's, it's fantastic. It's very well shot, very well put together. And um, I had an executive producer come on board that was is financing all my uh, submissions and all the rest of it, figuring we would do quite well. And, you know, in the old days, there was the gay network. You'd get a little back information about what's really going on. And now I think there's a little bit of a kink network. I'd set up screenings around the world. And I had, through my network, you know, having people on juries at film festivals know that my film got to the last round. And these are top tier, top 10 festivals in the world um, that it got to last round and it lost points on the fact that it would be issues with the sponsors. It might be somewhat controversial and they didn't want to take the chance, you know, um, which I imagine is probably the kinds of th thinking that was going on with gay content 40 years ago at film festivals is like, do we really want to be the first to be doing this? You know, it's hard to imagine that that, that was a thing. And I'm not comparing kink to to uh, the gay movie. That that is a that's a that's there's similarities, but one for me feels a little stronger. There's more of a more of a profound uh, wave there. Is just like a, you're born. I don't think that many people are necessarily born kinky. Where I do believe you're probably born gay or straight or have some of the, this more of a thing. I think we learn to be kinky. We all have that capacity. Got to be kinky if we're lucky enough to be. Um, so. Uh, yeah, uh, but it has started being accepted. 
to festivals. The first festival will be in uh, Long Island, uh, second week of June. It's called the Lighthouse Film Festival. Um, and we are, I can't reveal, is they have this process when you're selected, they actually make sure you're available. They check your world premiere status or your status that's appropriate to whatever. Sometimes they want to put you in a crazy category that I may not want to be in. A lot of the festivals wanted to put me on after midnight as if this was something scary in it. And I refuse to let that happen because I, it's it's certainly 18 plus, but it's not uh, something that belongs in the horror section of a fest. That would be absolutely opposite of what I want. So uh, so the first one I can announce publicly is the Lighthouse Festival. Um, go If you go to touchkink.com, you can sign up to my newsletter and I, I'm sending out uh, regular updates of where you can see it in your local neighborhood, what TV station, or, or I'm doing also community screenings and things like this. So, uh, yeah, if you want news about where it'll be seen uh, after the DomCon showing and the Lighthouse showing, uh, then sign up for that newsletter and you'll get all the information you can handle. This has been obviously a labor of love for you. And when you look back at what knowledge it's brought you is it what you imagined it would be absolutely um i have always loved to travel i've been fortunate enough in my life to to travel to 137 countries basically 25 years non-stop and to me this was like traveling to a different country instead of going to uh, something defined by geography it was more defined by culture and it was a beautiful thing and a beautiful world that i believe has amazing potential uh, i think it's a nascent thing that we're in right now though uh i think you had mentioned and i certainly it's been my experience too that you know we're not all one big happy family we all agree that every kingster is cool we can all do what we want we are fractured we are tribal like every other group of humans but I think we have, there's something in kink about its openness, about its way, desire. It's almost like a scientific method for understanding humans and relationships and interests. And I think this uh, puts humans in good stead to maybe understand how we can come together. I mean, just even starting with the idea of consent. I mean, that to me is... Once you've got that, once you have communication, once you have these systems, it's a wonderful way to try anything. And it's much more, much more correct than the old days of, oh, just don't do that. I mean, that was sex ed, wasn't it? Like 40 years ago, just don't do it. <laughs> you know, they didn't want to get into any kind of nuances of anything. Just don't do it. You know, don't confuse them with the message that it can be okay sometimes. Don't do it unless you get married. Okay. Keep the message simple. And, you know, uh, unfortunately, that is necessary for some people, I think, at a certain age. But the reality is uh, Kink offers a beautiful roadmap. I mean, when I was a kid, I remember my father saying, sorry, um, the world has changed. I don't really have much fatherly advice to give you. You know, his his idea of what relationships were was quickly falling apart and, and has continued now. Uh, you know, it's not that you can't smack someone on the bottom. You, you can. A lot of people like that. You just have to make sure that they like that and that they're cool with that it's not that that action itself is is wrong or someone likes to be manhandled or woman handled or whatever they like it's there's nothing wrong all you just have to do is make that extra step 
and make sure everybody's cool with it. And that's what we should be teaching is how to uh, negotiate and be honest. And uh, I think that's helpful. One of the things I love to uh, say to my vanilla friends is when, they, when I try and explain this to them, they're all like, dude, that sounds like too much trouble. I just want to get laid. I'm like, dude, you, the thing is you don't understand. You may interact with someone trying to get laid and because you get shut down, you just walk away. Whereas if you just sort of continue that conversation, well, what do you like? What kinds of things are you interested in? You might quickly find out, okay, you don't get X, but maybe there's Y and Z you never heard about. Well, you want to give that a try. Oh, and there's A and B and D and E and F, and you want to give that a try too. And all of a sudden, it's because you weren't so focused on one thing and you're willing to talk to that person, get to know that person, get to see what that person liked and find those commonalities, suddenly you get Y and Z and, and S and, hey, you know what? You might end up getting X one day too. But you know, if you like somebody and you're interested in interacting with someone, don't give up just because you don't get the first thing that comes to your mind. And that has had, held me in very good stead in my life because yeah, you'll often start with something you didn't even think about and often you'll get what you wanted at the beginning anyway, but uh, you know, and people are amazing. Just take that time. Don't have expectations, have anticipations and the world opens up to you. That That is absolutely right. And being open. I mean, the wonderful, I mean, how many amazing kinky things, you know, you're like, oh, that's it. But the first time is such a powerful, experience too like you like you know be a little try everything you know i mean you don't have to try everything twice but you know maybe try everything once at least because you might find something that doesn't even has a bit of an ick factor to start with might be uh <laughs> incredibly hot <laughs> in some way you know but yeah i i, I think it's just I, everyone looks at things differently of course but from in my mind it's just about being open and instead of getting too focused on X is, well, what kinds of things do you like? And what do you like? And my favorite thing about kinky people is you don't have to be shy. You don't have to um, be shy about anything. You know, uh, you can ask, you could talk. They'll, and if you're open with them, they'll be open with you and you might find something you want to give a go. Touch Kink is the name of the documentary. Max is the visionary behind this wonderful film, and I really appreciate you taking time with us today to introduce us to this wonderful piece of work. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, and I really do hope that this film serves as a um, kind of a bit of a gateway between the kinky and the non-kinky world. Uh, it's not particularly hard. It's more focused on, you know, on genuine people's lives and what they went through and and to really show that we're just people too we just have different interests and uh, i'm hoping and it was always my intention to make this film for my grandmother uh, i'm hoping for any reasonable person who sees it is going to have a much better understanding of what our community is about i look forward to your success thank you so much thank you for having me we thank max for taking us into his world and sharing his documentary we did tape that a few weeks ago, just before DomCon, and I know he was very excited to see the reaction of what the folks at DomCon would think. And it was a huge reaction, all in the positive way. Congratulations to Max, and we're looking forward to seeing his project get wide and far distribution so the world can be demystified by the things that we love. 
Here's what's coming up on the next edition of What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want, presented by Dating Kinky. She's the wrestling dominatrix, using pins and head scissors and headlocks to take us into a world of femdom that only few can imagine. It's Queen Gia Love, an energetic performer, an energetic femdom. Can't wait to bring you her story next week on What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want. A new edition of the show premieres next Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Our countdown to FetishCon is well on its way as it takes place August 10th through 13th in St. Petersburg, Florida. We hope you join us as well as a lot of our guests and a lot of new friends. You can get your tickets at FetishCon.com as we are absolutely proud to be the official podcast of FetishCon. In the upcoming weeks, we'll be visiting with people like Goddess Alanis, Genesis Lynn, Teramisu, Christina Carter, Anastasia Pierce, and more. So come on the journey with us and come join us in Florida. I'm John, also known as Hi There Catsuit. I hope I've earned the privilege of your time and I remind you to always remember consent and to love each other always. What Women and Other Wonderful Humans Want connects with you. Join us on Twitter at WhatWomenWantP1. On Instagram at What Women Want Podcast. For our kinky friends on FetLife at WWW Podcast. And now, select shows are available in video format at youtube.com slash dating kinky. This has been a presentation of Dating Kinky, built by kinksters for kinksters, poly, queer, trans folk, and anyone not quite vanilla. And it's free. 